0: I wrote down, I want to help people. Then I thought, hmm, if I want to help people and make the world a better place, will people help me? And then I thought, let's test it and go out for a week on the streets without, without money, without everything. So I placed myself on the streets, homeless, for a week without money. And I think that was the greatest journey, trip I ever made.
1: my life. Until the age of 38, Edward Malkenbauer impacted people's lives through the ads he created. Having launched his ad agency at the age of 18, and after 20 years of success, Edward was hit by an existential realisation that set him on a very different path to impact, one that was social, not commercial. In this episode, Edward recounts the awakening moment and discusses the work he is now doing to leave the world a better place than when he found it. Something to which I think we all aspire. Now over to Edward. Edward, welcome to the Impossible Network. Thank you. It's great to be chatting to you. Here from Austin, and you are where? Well, I'm in Ireland. and it's nearby Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Yeah, uh, delightful Netherlands. Well, let's jump. Let's let's jump in. We've established through the introduction, that you've had a, an interesting sort of ju- uh, career, a life journey working in advertising, having your own agency from age 19. But you're on a very different yeah. journey now. Before we get into that journey and what you're working to achieve, perhaps we could start with a big question as to who you are as a human being. Who I am as a human being?
0: Well, first of all, I'm a very, very proud father of two sons, I have a son of 12 and a son who is almost 10 months old. And well, I think they're the most important thing in my life at the moment. So, this is who I am as a, as a father. I feel the love talking about them. As a person, I am energetic, got a lot of ideas, always. I'm very optimistic. My friends always say, You're optimistic until you die. So, well, that's for sure. We need we need more optimism in the world. And I always have big dreams. That's who I am. But I also have doubts, of course. I'm I'm also human, so I also have doubts about the ideas I have. Are they good enough? And I I'm also searching for recognition sometimes by sharing my ideas.
1: And well, I think that sums it up. I suppose, very natural human traits. Yes. Father. Yeah, we all all struggle with our doubts at moments in time. Yeah. But that, in terms of who you are, you didn't really touch on your values and your principles that you live by. Well,
0: the values for me are don't judge a book by its cover. Maybe that's the best way to pronounce it. It's a value for me. No one is better or worse. Everyone has a story. If they do things, it's because of maybe fears they have or things they have made who have made them so um mm-hmm. and because of that, I also think uh my values are also share that mm-hmm. we share things with each other and sharing can be everything sherry can be knowledge or work or
1: help each other and these are about big values in life that does lead to the next question which is who or what made you the person you are and develop those values that led you to be the human you are today now that's an interesting question let's find out
0: how oh, my now, life story comes yeah, to these well. values or else maybe you teach me by
1: myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all talk about the simplistic, uh, the binary nature of na- uh, the binary question of nature, nurture, parents, yeah. or just is it in your yeah. DNA? The impact of your well, mentors, well, I'll, teachers. I'll just tell you. Yeah. I'll, I'll just tell you when I was uh, a baby and I
0: think I was around two years old, I got very sick and my parents didn't know what it was. So I went to the hospital a lot till I was, I think, eight years old. And I remember going to the hospital a lot. And those were periods of four till six weeks. So that's a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I had uh, gluten. Do you know the gluten in the, in the food? Oh yeah. 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 Gluten intolerance. And now everyone is, it's very hip in the Netherlands. When you eat gluten-free, but uh, in that time, it wasn't known so well. And because of going to the hospital so much, I got a lot of attention from my class because they all sent me cards. I was away. And after that, I remember I played soccer very well. And I played soccer very well at the age of 12. And I scored 99 goals in one season so that's a lot hang on a second hold on a minute a buddy johan (laughs) kruis i wish yeah and that's because i could i could run very fast so when i think of my childhood i was the guy who could run very fast and when you uh, play on school they never could catch me so i was the kind of well wouldn't say popular guy but and I always helped also the children who were bullied because i did, i I didn't think that was nice, and that's also kind of attention I attracted and Then with playing the soccer at twelve years old in the newspaper papers, they played me every week when I made so much goals so after that, I went to school, but they placed me on the school, my parents, and that was much too low for me the education so i build it up to bachelor eventually. And I started my advertising agency when I was 18. So I was an entrepreneur very young. I also organized events when I was 14 years old because I wanted to uh, buy fireworks at the end of the year. And I thought, "Hmm, how can I make money? Maybe I have to organizing event, I make money and I can buy fireworks from the money so as a child, I got a lot of attention and it started when I was a baby so what does this tell you
1: about my values or just who you are so you know you say that you don't judge people you believe in sharing you're a dreamer I could so I can see the connection between the judgment and Protecting kids or being bullied and probably seeing having empathy for others.
0: Yes, that was very much also from my mother's side. My mother always helps people, and also my father did, of course. But my mother still is always helping people, and she got a recognition from the king. From on King's Day, they give recognitions to people who do good things in society. It's it's maybe it's in my DNA.
1: My sweet mother. Yeah. I love her so much. Okay. I can understand that you, you had uh, a combination of a, let's just call it the help gene and a non spirit. And yeah. presumably from what you're saying, it sounds like you excelled in your education. Yeah. That sense of self-belief to be able to set up your own agency at age 19. I mean, I worked in advertising for idea setting my own agency. I didn't come to me until I was well into my 40s. So <laughs> yeah. what gave you that inner belief and that worldview that you could actually go out there on your own and, and make it? I think it's also because of my parents, because they believed in me.
0: And they always said, it doesn't matter what you want to be or achieve in life. They put no pressure at all. No pressure in school, no pressure in work. They always believed in me, and I had a very nice and warm childhood, and nothing could go wrong, in my opinion. So I think the belief of your parents that whatever you do, it's okay, it makes you strong during life, and I always thought, well, I am young, and I can make mistakes, and I still make a lot of mistakes, and I don't mind. (laughs) I don't feel ashamed when I make mistakes. I learn by make mistakes. Yeah, back to my
1: parents. Yeah, interesting. I've interviewed quite a lot of people over the last few years who've been probably fair to say they come from sort of immigrant families, and they, in a way, they they describe as a they describe their childhoods in a very different way of high expectations of knowing they had to overachieve, knowing they had to deliver. And you often think that that's what leads people to the success and the heights and to excel. Yet you're saying there was no pressure. There was just a sense of belief. I just want, it's interesting that there does, because I, you know, I think I believe that probably a lot of people that maybe listen to these interviews are parents and maybe we all question our parental style and approach. And yet you're saying that the important thing is just the belief in the kid and giving them a sense of inner confidence. I agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So that with that sort of that journey you went on age nineteen, could you just give us um, a bit of an overview as to what what why you went on that into that world of advertising and what led you down that path before your life yes. pivot? Yes.
0: Pivots. Well advertising, ninety years old, believing I could change the world, of course. <laughs> 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 I still believe that. And I I know the first 10 years of my advertising agency, I did everything from TV commercials until logos. And then after a while, I thought, ah, I have to be very good in a specific thing. So I just changed my advertising agency from doing everything to specific, only direct mail. And I accelerated in the direct mail and I just went to customers and said, well, I'm a specialist. Because I made myself a specialist. And do you believe me? Yes, I believe you. Well, then I will work for you and I will do great campaigns. And eventually it worked. But I did it for 19 years. And after 19 years and my company grew, I had employees and I didn't do anymore what I liked because I am Also a creative person, but now I was like a manager. And at the time, also my father got sick. And when we were at the doctors in the hospital, and uh, I still remember, of course, and we were sitting in the room, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, we have some bad news. You have cancer. And the first thing my father said was, shit, then I can't be... grandfather and uh well it still touches me because i have a a baby now 10 months and um okay okay, so you hadn't had kids at this point no and i didn't know that was his wish but you can imagine when your father passed away i i had a very good relationship with him within seven weeks we had to bury him well then it changed something in my career because then i thought. Is this what I want to do my whole life, making campaigns? And if I die early, is this what I want to look back to? And for me, it was no. I have to do something. I uh, have to do something else. Something else.
1: Wow. So that time of passing of someone close to you, whether it be a parent or a loved one, certainly is a time for inner reflection and brings moments of existential reality to most people's lives but i think the reality is most people just get on and carry on on the same track they've been but you did pivot in a, in a pretty well, radical way so and it and it, i suppose that does lead to the third big question which is you know what are you working to achieve before you do shuffle off this mortal coil yourself and perhaps you could expand on that that moment of reality and that awakening no, it's nice you say awakening Because in that period,
0: I started to read the book from Eckhart Dolle, The Now. And I never lived in the now. I always lived in my dreams. What kid. Or in my fears. I also lived in my fears back at the day. And then I thought, hmm, suppose I can change my life right now. And that was after my father passed away. And I went into the woods and I sat down on a hill looked over the woods, and I had a pen and paper, and I thought, hmm, what if I can change my life tomorrow? How would my life be? And I just started writing. And I also wrote, how is my life at this moment? And then I compared it. How is my life at this moment? Comparing, how do I want my life to be? Well, and it was a kind of shock, (laughs) because what I have written down was not my advertising agency. What I was written down was, I want to do good for others, but I don't know how. And I start sharing that with with friends and with uh, my family. I want to do good for others. And on the birthday of my mother, I also shared it in the family. And my aunt said, well, why don't you go and pour coffee with the elderly? And I said, "Hmm." Okay. Pouring coffee with the elderly. Why not? My father passed away. My son didn't have a grandfather. I thought there are a lot of grandfathers there. So there was a kind of switch and I went pouring coffee
1: with the elderly people. So, so there was a period between when your father died, yes. you were going through this, well, this, this inner question.
0: Yeah. Yes. It took me. Quite a long of time, the soul-searching, what to do yeah. with my life. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Uh, did you marry during this period? Yeah, well, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time, because, of course. Yeah, so what did she say? Because she probably thought, hey, I <laughs> met this guy with his ad agency. I can see we've got to have this interesting life. And then you're going on this uh, inner soul-searching existential sort of journey. Well, in that period of time, also that relationship stopped.
0: Ah, uh, so right, okay. It, it was a new period for me. It was a new period for me because I was single at the moment. And then I thought, okay. So I changed it all <laughs> my life. I wrote down, how, what do I want to have my life? Mm-hmm. So there was no girlfriends telling me, what are you doing? I just, <laughs> just did it. And well, by pouring coffee, friends ask me, what are you doing every Sunday? Well, I'm pouring coffee. Oh, can I come along? Of course, of course. you can come along. Foreign coffee where? In the elderly homes. Yeah, foreign coffee in the elderly homes for the elderly people. And they asked, can I come to, can I come a coffee to, uh, with, with elderly? I said, of course. And the first time they came and I liked it very much. Second time they came along, but the third time they stopped. And almost every friend, friend stopped the third time. And I asked him, why do you stop? Well, I did my parts uh, and it's nice that you do it, but I stop. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I can make a pay it forward formula. What if I ask people who wants to donate four hours of his life? And that's not much, of course, four hours of his life. Who wants to donate four hours of his life? Go with me, pour coffee with the elderly for two hours a week later go back pour coffee for two hours then you have spent four hours but the second time bring a friend and that friend also does the four hours and brings a friend and then you had to, like paid forward and that worked that worked so in that period of time there were 2,500 people
1: who wanted to pour coffee with the elderly that was great wow. I hope it wasn't just in the one old people's home There were multiple homes. No, <laughs> it was across the Netherlands. Wow. <laughs> so you must have been at this stage. People must have started talking about it. Were, were you getting some uh, PR coverage yeah. in the news about this? Well, I got a lot of PR because I played it on Facebook
0: and then people saw it on Facebook. And then I got interviews and after the interviews and they asked me, can you do a TED talk? So, okay, yep. Yeah. I will do that. And that was very special. That was very special. Because I thought, how can I make social impact with my TED Talk? Because I wanted to do something good. And I started my TED Talk with showing a small video of Mevrouw van Huis. She was uh, 98 years old. And she told us how important it is to make connection with each other young and old people, and that we can learn from each other. And she told it in a video for maybe a minute or so. After that, I told my story. And at the end of the TED Talk, I said to the audience, what you don't know about Mevrouw van Huis, who you just have seen on the video, that she didn't had a visitor for 10 years. Can you imagine 10 years without any visitor, And I said to the audience, if we don't do something right now, she will die lonely. And what we can do, I said to the audience, pick up your phone. So everyone picked up his phone, turn it on. I made an agenda for her online. So you can make an appointment right now. And if you don't know, if you know people, share it on Twitter, Facebook. And at that moment, uh, Mevrouw van Huis was first in the video, came on stage live. Well, people cried. People cried, mm. and it was so nice to see that people <laughs> cried, made an appointment, and within a week, her whole agenda was 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 built uh, for two days. It uh, was great. Yeah,
1: it was great. So she didn't die lonely. Wow. Yeah. So, so I mean that. Uh, I mean that was that journey you've been on. The two thousand five hundred people going across the Netherlands. You went to the TED talk. You created the online booking form for her. So people could yeah. spend time with her, learning from her. But from there, where did you go? Well, from
0: there, I thought, hmm, when I was in the woods, I wrote down I want to help people. And this way, I helped mevrouw of the elderly people. Now I thought, would it be nice if we share stories in a theater about uh, everything what happens in the world? For instance, loneliness can be be everything and ask people to help a person. For instance, Mevrouw van Huis, we talked about loneliness. Can you help Mevrouw van Huis? But you can also talk about a child who has cancer and ask if someone can do something for that child. And then I thought, maybe I have to create a tour. And then I created the Social Impact Tour. And the Social Impact Tour is about stories from NGOs like Amnesty International or Make a Wish or, well, you will, or Green and then ask the audience to do something for them. So, uh, that started in 2019,
1: the Corona period. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that put us, that put, paid and stopped that tour in its tracks. Okay. Yes. One of the things we talked about when we first spoke was that you did something very bold and I'd see is quite brave which is to put, take yourself right outside of your comfort zone yeah. and yeah. and go on a, a tour of the Netherlands yourself. Um, not not a theater, but to live homeless. Yeah. Was it during COVID or was that 2018, I think. And it was also because I wrote
0: down, I want to help people. And then I thought, hmm, if I want to help people and make the world a better place, will people help me? And then I thought... Let's test it. And of course, you know, you will be helped. And then I thought, let's test it and go out for a week on the streets without without money, without everything. And I live in Harlem, Ireland, and well, that's by the sea. But I wanted to go downwards to Maastricht, and that's at the bottom of the Netherlands. So I placed myself on the streets, homeless, for a week without money. And I think that was the greatest journey
1: trip I ever made in my life. So could you talk about that experience? Because a lot of people, for example, in London, New York, and once a year to go and spend a night on the streets with homeless to yeah. to understand the what it's actually like. But to yeah. do that for a week, to do that without company, to do it without money, is in itself a courageous and potentially, I assume, dangerous at yes. times. It was dangerous as well. Well, what I
0: can tell you, I know the very first day you don't have money and you're hungry. Mm-hmm. And then you have to beg for your food. And that first step that you have to take, begging for your food, that's so strange. Because normally I go to the supermarkets and I buy things. And now I went to a group because I thought, hmm, when I ask food with a group, with a big family. So I went to the group, it was a family. There was a grandfather also in the family. And I asked them, can you buy me or give me some food? And his grandfather was sitting like, "Hmm?" on a street. Yes, on the street. They were on the the terrace. And this grandfather was like sitting, looking at me. No. (laughs) And I said, oh, oops. But no, go away. And that was also strange because, well, I'm a nice guy. But go away. And I was walking by the terrace, and someone else on the terrace said, Hey, come to me. What's your story? And I told my story. And this person said, Of course, I will help you. Come with me. We'll go into a restaurant,
1: pick something you like. And these people, this was someone part of the family, the same family. No, someone else on the terrace because. Oh, I see. It was a restaurant. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we've all been there. We've all been sitting at restaurants in some place, whether it be in, you know, I've had it happen to me in Harlem in New York. It's happened in the south of France. It's happened in London that people, homeless people do come up to you and ask for money. It's, it's a natural sort of thing people will do if they're desperate. Yeah. And I was desperate as well and hungry as hell. (laughs) So that person, they brought you into the restaurant. Took me and it
0: was a, 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 it was a beach terrace. So not a restaurant inside. It was a beach terrace. So he took me and he said, well, to the counter, I said, well, what do you want? And I, I ordered the sandwich. I came back and someone else also on the terrace, so I said, well, I have some fruits. Do you want some fruits? And then I got some fruits and someone else, I have some, some water and then people helped me. And that was great. Of course. What the guy says, what's your story? What do you say to him? Well, I just told him I'm homeless and I want to see if people can help me because I believe People have to help each other. This guy fought difference.
1: <laughs> wow. yeah. so, you act, so you put people asking, you did say to them, this is almost a social experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I
0: also went into a, a, a barbecue in in a neighborhood and the people told me, well, come here and we have a barbecue and you can eat with us. And at the end of the barbecue, where do you sleep tonight? I, said, I don't know. Well, sleep with us. And I didn't know the people. And they just offered me their house, and that was that was the great part. And I also had the scary part because I also slept with the Salvation Army twice, to different places, and there are the homeless people who are addicted. A lot of people are addicted to drugs or alcohol, but also a person who killed his mother came back from jail, came out of jail and had to go back into society but didn't have a job or a big drugs dealer who had a boat full of drugs, went into jail, came back into society, all kinds of stories. And there, inside there, that was a very tough time. That was a very tough time because they want to uh, show me, well, how do you say it? Attack. Because there, they
1: wanted to attack me. And that was that was scary. Do you think they realized that you were not a natural homeless person? Yes, I think so.
0: But the reason why they wanted to attack me was interesting because in that shelter home where I was, the leader has had been killed a month prior before I came. And there was a new leader and he wanted to show the group that he was the leader. And when I came in, he wanted to show me as well. I'm the leader here. You're new. Because you're new and you talk nice, you're not the leader. And he wanted to attack me during night during the nights. And he said all kinds of stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you tonight, I'm gonna kill you. Well, it was the worst night ever that I had in my life. Yeah. I didn't sleep at all, I think. <laughs> it was so scary. Eventually he didn't kill me, of course, but still. Yeah. Yeah, but that threat uh, must have been quite terrifying. It was quite terrifying. It was quite terrifying. I had a sleeping bag and I didn't close the sleeping bag because I thought when I'm in my sleeping bag and I closed it until here and he jumps me, well, I can go anywhere. So I zipped it open. Uh, zipped it open so I could jump out of bed when he wanted to attack me. Uh, well, and it's it, <laughs> quite nice,
1: but uh, well, yeah, that's how it goes. Wow. So that, that social experiment of spending that time on the street or, or homeless and testing this hypothesis that are people kind enough to help you. What was your conclusion after the, that week, 10 days on the street? My conclusion was maybe, uh, I
0: give the percentage 90% of the people are willing to help because a lot of people did help me. And, um, what I also did, I also helped other people. When I came across some people, I had conversation and I told my story and they gave me an apple, for instance. And then I asked, how can I help you? I want to share your story within my network, within Facebook or LinkedIn, so you can also be helped. And people followed me on, uh, on social media. So everybody was helping each other. Mm-hmm. So I think 90% helps. And that's great. That's great. Only you have to ask the question, can
1: you help me? And sometimes people think that's difficult. to well, Ask for help. It's interesting because I interviewed this guy who also lives in, a British guy who lives in the Netherlands called Ashley Usiskin, And he, uh, through an illness and going through chemotherapy, he realized that sometimes in life you have to ask for help And I think his realization was that we all have our own Mm -hmm. innate built into us barriers to asking for help that can be cultural. It can be upbringing uh, for any number of reasons. Yeah. Uh, And he set out to try and make people aware that there's a gift in asking for help because people have a help gene in them. And what you do by asking for help is you give them a sense of, purpose in their life because people love yeah. to help others and we don't no. really think about help in that way oh. that it's that, that it can be contagious then it's it's actually an, an energizing act of both giving and asking oh. but it's the asking that's the one the one that we don't really think about nope so i want to go back you mentioned the social impact tour that you had this idea because you said earlier that you're a creative person. You've thought of something that's completely different way of thinking about raising awareness and raising money for those people that need help. But it's also an interesting way of leveraging almost a network effect as well, a, multi- a multiplier effect of building awareness of someone's story to many people at one time and then inviting them to give help. I mean, I think we've all heard... An experienced, I think the term that's used is the identifiable victim effect. When we hear the story of a child that's lost or stuck down a well, or yep. nineteen boys in a cave in Thailand, versus a million people affected by a tsunami, we, we can associate more and have empathy more for the individual story. And that seems to be, from what you've said, is what you're doing with this this social impact tour. Given it was it was paused. And with COVID and now that COVID is hopefully so past. Yeah. How do you see this this tour evolving? Well, still the same as it
0: started. Because I call it ambassador Story ambassadors. Mevrouw Van Huis was an ambassador for the lowly people, for instance. And I still see it. Okay, I'm looking for ambassadors. I want to tell stories about something, about loneliness, and I'm placing an ambassador and ask the audience to help them. So eventually it's still the same as, uh, as in 2019.
1: Nothing changed there. So how do you activate this, let's say? How do you um, identify the stories, find the willing NGOs to participate in it? How do you fund it?
0: Well, finding the NGOs is the easy part. Because... They know. They 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 think it's a new way for them to bring awareness, and it's a new way for back also for fundraising. That's the easy parts. What I'm doing at the moment is looking okay. How can I connect businesses to this story? Mm-hmm. Because businesses or companies also want to make social impact. Companies want to, of course, sell. Their product, but nowadays company, companies also want to show to the world or their customers, we are also doing something good for the world by making social impact. And they ask their employees to do something for a good cause or something. Mm-hmm. So what I'm doing at the moment is mm-hmm. talking to companies and ask them, Hey, I see on your websites, you make social impacts about the nature about nature or whatever. What about me telling a story about nature and you fund this? So that's where I am at the moment going to companies and ask them to help.
1: Yeah, I could see it. I could see it working for, for example, where, whether it be, well, IKEA, where I think they have uh, a major uh, headquarters in Delft, in the Netherlands. And they, they I think one of their IKEA Foundation focuses is on a, obviously a better everyday life for the many people, is their mission yeah. and they are focused on a better life at home. And I but I also think that I think I think education and the environment are both important factors for yes. them. Yeah. So for example, I could see that if you found an interesting story about a family or a child that gone through some yeah. sort of transformation, and you could take that story on tour. I could see it coming to life. I could see it coming to life around someone that survived a cancer treatment or a child that's going through some trauma. I find it harder to see how you would tell a relevant story about, uh, let's say, rising water levels, something you're going to experience in, in the Netherlands.
0: Yeah, and and you're right about that. So it will be the personal stories and not so about the rising uh, levels and but 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 there will also be stories about people who work on not the rising water levels. but well i just have to
1: find out <laughs> yeah <laughs> I-, I think there's always going to be some sort of human impact there always be the angle the human impact angle yeah so what you want people to do is that if you fill a theater like you did with the ted talk and you've got the social impact tour that's on tour in in the netherlands going to belgium and going to france you fill a theater. What, yeah. your, what will be your expectation for people to do?
0: What will be my expectation? Okay. Uh, it has to be if, uh, something very easy to do in the theater. And I think sharing the story, sharing something, that's the most easy way. Because everyone has a phone. Everyone can share. And if people share things, they can help as well. Yeah. I have an example. Uh, you know, of course, MST International... Amnesty writes letters to directors of prisoners. So someone is taken prison into a foreign country, maybe has a death sentence, and then MC said no, he is not guilty, and they ask people to write cards. These cards they send to the, the prison, and sometimes they come free, they are free, mm-hmm. or sometimes they can have more family, better food or a better bet or something. And the idea I had for Amnesty, I thought, Mm -hmm. what if I am in the theater, tell a story about someone who is locked up, make a movie of the person and ask thousand people to pick up their phone and to share that movie all at once. What will happen if thousand people share one movie on social media all at once? And before that, I will also ask people to join online. And what will happen if 5,000 people share it at once? And I think that's something very easy. And if you do that, well, I don't know what happens, but I can imagine something happens on social media. So it has to be something like that, something very simple. I'm
1: just going back and trying to look at, I mean, we worked in advertising. And one of the things we talk to um, clients about in terms of storytelling is you've got to find that red thread that takes you through the storyline of yeah. an idea, the consistency. And I think the red thread that's, that's running through your story is apart from the kindness is actually the fact that you're, you're leveraging the power of story to affect and change people's yeah. lives, you yeah. know, through the ads you make, through the direct mails you did. And now through this, yeah. you're recognizing that the power of an emotional story to engage people, to move them and then to activate some form of reaction in them, which is very, which is very powerful. And I can see why that brands, many brands, yeah, they go down the same route, the same path with, um, their philanthropy and making just statements on their website, putting money into NGOs sending their staff uh, to activate employee engagement on day tours to go and see what's happening in yeah. the field. But this feels like it's an original, fresh, and unusual way that brings together both audiences, employees, and businesses in a completely new venue. Yeah. What's, I mean, what's been the reaction so far that you've had from people? By helping uh, others, you mean? Just generally of the idea of the social impact tour. Oh, well, (laughs) people find everyone where
0: where I talk about is, oh, this is great. They all like it. They all like it because, well, maybe the same when I got homeless or what what we talked about it. People like to help people. People like to be in a community and it feels good when you can help someone else. So Mm -hmm. maybe... 90%, 90%, the same 90%, <laughs> because there are also people who say, well, I don't think it's a good idea. Find it a good idea. And, um, I know the first is always the most difficult by far. Yeah. But when the first one is going, well, I
1: think that will fly. Yeah. It, it sure. must be, it must be the same with the first cup of coffee that you pour on a yep. Sunday and the, uh, the first Sunday you go in there
0: it's yeah it was also i was alone (laughs) and then i had uh, 25 other people wanted to pour coffee yeah no that's the same that's the same and i just started again so maybe within a year when we talk well it flies
1: but Mm.
0: i just started again with with the tour yeah so when will be the first when will the tour kick off well i think 2025 because The first tour is the most difficult, but I'm helping a guy now at the moment who has his own theater tour. And he had played 105 theaters last year. And he wants a new theater tour in 2025. And he is well, well, well known in the Netherlands or else you can't play in 105 theaters. And I asked him, can you help me? And what I did I ask him, "Can you help me? I want to help you with your new tour. De tour. I'm creative. I can do the fundraising. I can do ticket sales. Mm-hmm. But when you are going on a on your tour, and he wants to play in twelve twelve places this time, when you play on Saturday and Sunday, can I use your decor? How you do you see it? And play yeah. on Friday mm. in in the same theater, and then mm-hmm. we can split costs. So that works. And Then I get, then he helps me and I'll do my tour with him. So that's the idea at the moment. And he wants to start
1: in 2025. So
0: that's why I said 2025.
1: So it's a bit like going on tour with a band and you're the support band. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. And he's well known and I'm not, I'm nobody. So then you're, you're going to use his notoriety and his Recognition to go to yep. the NGO and to the brands and the businesses and say, I'm working with this individual. We've got a tour planned. Do you yep. want to participate? Wow. Okay. All right. So have you any ideas as to what the, um, the focus of the social impact will be? Are you, are you looking now for willing NGOs? I'm looking now for willing NGOs
0: and I believe in the universe where you send something out. In the universe, it will come back to you. And thank you for this yeah. because you are part of it. Yeah. <laughs> you are, you are part of, 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 of the trip. And I know for sure within time and it will take two or three, four five months, people will come on my way. I will tell the story, tell about you. And then people will say, Oh, I have a great story. I can help you. Of course.
1: So I believe that's how it works living oh. in and now. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe the fact that I said IKEA, maybe they have to be on your list. Yes, that's what I thought. That's <laughs> great, And because you told me
0: IKEA, I thought, huh, I can also do this one and that one and this one, mm-hmm. and that's how it works. Mm-hmm. And then after this tomorrow, I will make a list because of this
1: podcast. Yeah. yeah. So thank you. That's good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was about to ask you, how can the Impossible Network help? Well, yeah, any other ideas we have we can sort of share with you? Yes, yeah. Sure. Anyone that hears this podcast, they can reach out to you and say, hey, Edward, we've got, a, got an idea here. But, I mean, it, in a way, again, it's um, linking it to business. I mean, you are on a startup journey. What you're doing is you're building your, what we call in startup land, an MVP, a minimum viable product. Yes. um, It's minimum viable purpose. Build yeah. <laughs> my no, no, vibe of purpose. purpose. Great. Yeah, there uh- you go. That's your MVP. Well, that's going to be really exciting. Can we? Yes. Can we talk just a bit more about you? Maybe just some of the more personal questions, like who or what inspires you? Of course. Who or what inspires me?
0: In the end, I think people in general inspires me. Mothers who raise their children, fathers who raise their children, people who go to work every day to help other people in hospitals, people who go to work every day to make bread for us. And I don't have really like, well, Nelson Mandela inspires me or someone big. Of course, they do inspire me. It's everyday people. But everyday people in the end, I think they inspire me as well because, yeah. And I I never had that uh, one inspiring person. Neither when I was young. I didn't want to be like someone. No. Because I thought, talk to so much people. And I think it's inspiring because, for instance, sick people and when you overcome a sickness, that's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Or for when you overcome a breakup of a relationship, how do you do that? That's inspiring. So those kind of people, well, all the people, of course, they inspire me. If you ask them uh, who they are and if you want, and
1: if they want to share their story with you. Just a thought. I, I was interviewed uh, <laughs> um, for uh, another podcast last week, Yeah, uh, which I, hate being interviewed and I'm not looking forward to, to I don't know if I'll be able to bring myself to watch it, but we talked a lot about AI and I'm, I'm doing quite a bit of um, work to really understand how I can leverage AI to help people in my life and not just clients, but just to over help people overcome their barriers or their fears of AI yeah. and to leverage it. And it just struck me that given the the level to which i'm exploring this it might be a worthwhile exercise to do some advanced prompt writing and to see what an ai like claude which is anthropic's tool not chat gpt but anthropic might be a better one to yeah. give it the the pro- a, a significant prompt that's well thought through that sets very clear expectations and boundaries And to really try and unlock where you could take the social impact tour, particularly in terms of identifying the types of brands and businesses that would benefit from it and making the argument, the rational and the emotional argument that would appeal to these businesses and brands and decision makers. And it would be a fascinating thing to do because it's never been done and because it hasn't got the yeah. training data wouldn't necessarily come up with an obvious answer. I think it could be an interesting exercise. So maybe what we have to do is after the podcast, we'll maybe go and do a little workshop and, and yes, test it. Great. And it could be interesting that's to see great. what it generates.
0: What a great, what a great idea.
1: Yeah. So there you go. That's a, that's a, that's my offer of help to do that. Yeah. We can, we can, we can maybe yeah, record it and, and put it out there and see people can see. What happens? Yeah, okay. Also, right. we'll that, that will make
0: a great story, of
1: course. <laughs> there where you go. we yeah. come up with something, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Change well, the world. I so. oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. With a big um, prompt, of course. Okay, you said at the beginning, so just like other human beings, you deal with doubt and and questioning. But we all face these moments, these quiet moments of uncertainty and doubt in our lives. But how do you deal with it? Well, most of the time. It takes me three days. Two <laughs>
0: <until> Three days. <laughs> because when I have a doubt, something, and it, it's a bigger doubt, but the small things, not what to wear today. <laughs> First, I have a doubt. Then I go into fear. What if? Mm-hmm. Well, doubt is night one. Fear is night two. <laughs> and then on the day three, I think... What what could happen? Just just do it. So uh-huh. if I have doubts, I need time. Mm-hmm. I need time and in, in the end I know why did I had had it, this these doubts? Why did I have these fears? So uh, a good night's sleep in the end. A good night's sleep or a walk or going for a walk with my with my sons or being with my sons and see them playing and then everything dis- dis- disappears. Love. Wow. That works for me.
1: Okay. Wow. You said at the beginning, that you're also a dreamer. I mean, this is, I think it's interesting that we, we have our dreams, our goals, our ambitions, our desires. Yes. At the other side, we face our doubts, our fears, our uncertainty. Yeah. That are almost barriers to unlocking and to activating those dreams, those yeah. goals, those ambitions. And it is only action that actually unlocks, as you said, the universe, the, the people, the connections, the experiences that take you forward. Yeah. What do you, I don't know if what the question is here actually, but it is just more, more of an observation in terms of you talked about, you've got the doubt, the fear, you go for a walk, you take time, presumably, presumably you then take action and that's the answer you, you you gave the answer yourself
0: it is taking action because when you have doubts or fears and when you stay with them all the time there's no action you're only in your head and when i read the the book living in the now i also did more action and when i read articles podcasts of people who have made it they all say the same just take action, ask people to help you make mistakes, make mistakes,
1: and go into action it's funny I had a, a guest, an interview you should listen to it 's with a, another ex ad guy called Don Smith from last year who was a, a very a, a colleague of mine at an agency in Scotland, and he's now an inventor, and he is very much driven by a theory by a German philosopher but it's emergence. So he doesn't think about failure and fear. He just thinks we're all in a, a state of emergence and everything is emerging. And we just are on a journey, emerging into who we need to be and who we, we should be. It gives him more of a an acceptance of the ups and downs when things yeah. don't go right. It's just a process of his emergence. And I think it's an interesting philosophical way of thinking it's almost like a stoic way of thinking about life so yeah and just anyway just a a yeah and then
0: i think for the people who are all also listening maybe a question or also for myself why don't we take action Mm -hmm. you can't
1: take action all the time but why do we stop well it is it goes back to the word i use a lot in the podcast which is serendipity that i think it's serendipity is only unlocked when you take an action and yeah. you do yeah. something. You yeah. uh, have a conversation. You go to a place you wouldn't normally go, or walk down a nope. street. It's it's having the curiosity and it's having the courage to do something you wouldn't normally do. Go out of your comfort zone. I think exactly. That's it.
0: Which is go out of your comfort zone and explore. And when you're always in your comfort zone in your job or in your relationship, or then you don't take that much action when you go out of your comfort zone, there's where the action is. Maybe that's the answer. Go out of your comfort zone, take the action. Yeah. And there
1: are the, the beautiful stories in the end. And that's what you did with your time on the street. You certainly went outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And by doing this
0: interview, talking about it, I also for myself think I have to take more action Mm -hmm. and. So it also worked for me. So
1: thank you again. What do you think the impact will be of this change in life direction you've taken on your kids?
0: Well, I already see the impact on my kids because, well, the one of 10 months old, I don't know him so much. (laughs) Only 10 months. (laughs) But the one who is 12 years old, he sees what I'm doing and he is kind of copying me in the right way. And for instance, we went to a Dusseldorf during Christmas. And there was a boy on a violin play. And my son and everyone gave him money. And it was cold and it was late. And my son thought, I have to help him. And he grabbed into his pocket and he got all his money. And you gave it to the boy and it was four euros. He blushed and thought, Oh, what did I do? I gave all my money four euros. I can, I can buy a lot of candy for, <laughs> for <laughs> this, but he did it on himself. Not that I said, give it. And I said, but why did you give it to him? He deserves it because he's standing and it's cold and uh, I like his music. I said, okay. And what feeling does it give? Well. It gives a great feeling, but now I can't <laughs> buy candy. But do you need candy at the moment? No. And I saw him thinking, I did the right thing. And then he was proud of himself. Yeah, well, I did the right thing. And in the end, I bought in something sweet, so everything was okay. But I see him do it do that. This was one, one thing. Do that a lot of times. And uh, then I think, well, that's the impact I am making as a father on him. So
1: uh this is a positive impact, if you ask me. That's very cool. You talked about the book The Now, Eckhart Tully. Um no. is, there, is there any other book you would recommend people read? The Alchemist. Uh, Do oh, you Cola. know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Is there any show or movie you think people should watch that they might not see this important? Ooh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> That's a difficult one.
0: I don't follow so much shows. Well, no, no, I I I can't say watch this movie. What I always do is when I when I watch a movie, I like the movies who are based on a true event, and that touches me. And there are a lot of movies, true events, but I can't come up with a title at the moment. Well, I got to give you one
1: that I think is relevant. To the, what you're doing, which is challenging traditional societal conventions about how we think about a category. There's a great movie on Netflix. I, I'm sure it'll be available in, in the Netherlands called The Bank Called Dave. The Bank Called, called Dave. Dave, yeah. Oh, interesting. So, so it's a true story about how a guy in Burnley, a, a town in England, the north of England decided They'd had enough after the financial crash of bankers really controlling the banking industry and what people could borrow and, and, and making people bankrupt and helping people in this community by giving them loans. And he thought, why can't I create my own bank? And I'm going to call it Dave. So it's his story. It's ah. brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I, I made, I made uh, it's a, it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's not a documentary, but the guy is just like, if you see him interviewed on the news, he's, they've made a, a movie about him, but it's, right. um, essentially it's, and, he, and he's, he's still doing it. So a, I think it's a very interesting person and a journey to follow. But thanks. There you go. I will look it. Any, um, life hack behavior. The last guest I had on Caroline Arditi is a great believer in, uh, ice baths is there anything that you you would recommend that you think is a good life hack well for me
0: because i'm in this phase spend time with your children with your loved ones of course because we we all have our work etc but for me at the moment spend time with your children they grow up so fast and if you don't have children it's Spend time with the loved ones, your parents, because they can die
1: eventually. Spend time with each other. And life long. when you told me the story of your father made me think of the brilliant blog post by Tim Urban. Have you ever read it called The Tail End? No. Oh, you should read it. Oh. It's it real, real it will very much resonate with you. It essentially the the essence of it is what you're saying spend time with your family because we only have so many days and it's uh brilliantly written and it's very well visualized as well so yeah. you should check it out I'll put it i'll put it in the show notes yeah. i'm, I'm the, getting all this it's fired here <laughs> thank you <laughs> the tail end obviously as part of the um, the podcast it's about us connecting our guests with other guests so As long as you're open to it, we'll be making some connections to people we think would benefit from knowing you and you from knowing them. These little random collisions that we like to engineer. So look out for that. And that leads to the final question is who should, who should I interview next?
0: Well, Well, I think maybe the guy I work with or maybe two guys. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. It's a very interesting story. His name is uh, Deun, Dutch, Tubus, And at age 21, Hmm. he did an education for dementia. Is it called pronounced right? Dementia. Dementia. And he did an education. And when he went into the elderly homes or dementia homes, he thought, Hmm. if I am this age, I don't want to spend time here. I want to change the system. And that's a big one, eh? Change the system. And then he thought, if I want to change the system, Mm -hmm. I have to go into the system. So what he did, normally when you're 21, you go study, go on rooms, party, etc. But he went into the dementia home on the closed section and lived with the people with dementia on the closed section. Well, that's great. 21 years old. Wow. He wrote... Blogs, did some vlogs, vlogs. Then he wrote a book. This book is in 12 countries at the moment. And in this book, he is telling people how you can change the system. He made a documentary. The documentary is going also to different different countries. He made his the theater tour. That was the guy, one of five mm-hmm. theater tours. And him, his premiere of the theater tour was at the G20 top. Oh, wow. That, that's where the all the countries come. The Yeah, G- yeah. No. He's 24 at the moment. Okay. And right, well. His story, well, great.
1: I think <laughs> he's very inspiring. Yeah. Okay. Once this, this episode goes live next week, I'll okay. ask you to make a connection. I'll do. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Edward. It's very inspiring you. to see what you're doing. I'm going to be following it with much interest. And we'll follow up at some point in the next week or so. We'll get this episode out and then we'll do our, our little AI prompt writing exercise Great. and looking see where it takes forward. us. I'm looking <laughs> forward. Thank yeah. you, Mark. That sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And we'll, we'll speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. Okay. That's all for now, folks. Now here's my ask of you. Please follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever player you use. Also, please subscribe to our new Random Collisions newsletter. We really are working to build a global community of action takers, action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving. Thank you very much, and see you next time.